December. Can you believe the holiday season is here? Welcome to the Queerly Recommended Podcast, where we are going to give you queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Tara Scott, and I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And this week, I am recommending a holiday romance novel. And I'm Chris Bright, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books. And I, too, will be recommending a Christmas romance novel. Woo, or it's December. Holiday. Yeah, it's December. We know what the it people is. want. You want to know what you should be reading this month. Right. So we have recommendations for you. If you would like to support the show, we have links in our show notes where you can contribute to our coffee or sign up for our newsletter. Or even better, if you can just tell a friend about us, if you think they need more queer media recommendations in their life, that would be amazing and perfect. Now, speaking of the newsletter, it comes out on the weeks that the uh, podcast does not drop. So it's every other week, right? Yeah, yes. every other yeah, week. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so it's opposite the weeks that we drop the, the uh, regular podcast. Mm-hmm. And on it, we give you something else to watch, read, or whatever. That's related to... So we, you know, every episode we do share our official recommendations. So right. in the newsletter, we're going to point you to the last podcast and basically say, if you like something that we recommended, what should you check out next? probably a related theme or something like that that's driving that recommendation and we also showcase a local lgbtq nonprofit that's doing good work and i think this coming up one is one of mine one in kansas city so yours will be in the last episode <laughs> or sorry oh, the last, shoot yeah the last issue <laughs> This whole okay. future thing is just, yeah. So mine dropped already. Last my week. local, yeah. Last week, my yes. uh, my LGBTQ nonprofit uh, here in Kansas City is the uh, Kansas City Center for Inclusion. But here's another thing: we also have authors links to their. What, what do we have them there to their? Oh yeah, yeah. We do a whole list. Yeah. So in the newsletter that will have dropped the week before this one, you know, I don't know if y'all heard. Twitter is a bit of a mess. No one knows it's going to happen. And I think everybody was pretty afraid. Everybody's pretty afraid that Twitter was just going to kind of, you know, that fail whale was going to come up one day and the site was never going to come back because when you fire that many engineers and people who know how to keep things running, well, we don't know what is going to happen. And it may yet be that could still happen. Or even if that doesn't happen, we might see more people leaving the platform as it turns more and more hostile to people like us and so we thought well we started a newsletter for this reason we want people to have a way to keep in touch with us because twitter is really where we got the most people um engaging with us on a daily basis and one day out of nowhere i was like well hang on people are probably wondering how to stay in touch with authors and there's all these authors with newsletters right what if in our newsletter we said hey check out all these other (laughs) newsletters So if you go to that, we can put a link in the show notes so that you can see what was the last newsletter that came out. You can read that. You can, you know, sign up if you haven't signed up yet. Um, But that one will actually have links to 30 author newsletters. So I recommend checking that out for sure. Yes. And also, if you want to recommend one of your local nonprofits that you care about, you know, we can feature it in a future newsletter. Just uh, send it to podcast at clearlyrecommended.com. Yes, please, please, please do. I mean, there are some incredible charities and nonprofits doing things at the national level, you know, the things that spring to mind. Right. Trevor Project always springs to mind immediately. But like Trevor Project isn't 
they're probably not hurting for cash. They right. get so much attention. And then what about the people that are doing things at the local level? Like your nonprofit you were talking about in Kansas City, nobody else is doing anything like that, providing right. that safe space in Kansas City. The one that I recommended in the first issue of the newsletter is called the Skipping Stone Foundation. And they're here in Calgary and they support trans kids. And uh, the people that also support trans kids, like it's really about helping them have great futures and helping them to thrive. Nobody else is doing that in the Calgary area. And, you know, for smaller nonprofits, it's really, it can be really hard to get that crucial funding that they need to keep their doors open, to keep their programs running. When you have less staff, like applying for large grants is harder. And so those donations from people like us are even more crucial than they would be for a large, well-funded national nonprofit. So yes, that is something we would love. Send us who you love. Just send it into the podcast at Queerly Recommended Address, and we'll include it in a future issue. Yes. All right, Chris. (laughs) There's been some big stuff happening. What (sighs) have you been reading or watching? Because I feel like even just... We're not doing listener questions. We don't have other topics. I feel like we have so much to catch up on just with what we've been reading or watching. Right. So, first of all, I would like to start off by saying The Walking Dead is over. Yeah. Officially over. And now I'm not okay. I am not okay. You know, I love that show because it had everything. And while it's not something I can go back and watch again, it's not one of those kind of shows because there were a couple seasons that really sucked ass. It was really bad. They had really bad seasons. But, you know, it's it's a part of, of me. It's a part of, you know, I'm loyal to shows. And, and mm-hmm. I, I figure if I've lasted on for like 80%, I need to finish it up. And so I did. And, you know, of course, there were tears I cried because it's sad. You know, you're saying yeah. you're saying goodbye to like this whole fictional, you know, society that you spent the last 12 years with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like any show that ends. Yeah. And we have to talk about Jeopardy and the Tournament of Champions and Amy Schneider. All right. What happened? Tell the people that don't know. Okay, so here's what I love. So the Tournament of Champions, how they did it in the past was they would have two shows. Like it was a two-parter, part one, part two, and then they combined the scores and whoever had the highest score won. Mm -hmm. That was it. But what they did this year, it's like three of of seven the best of seven so there's three contestants and whoever wins three games wins the tournament mm-hmm. so it was amy and andrew and sam and so like sam won the first game <gasps> i was like no and then amy <laughs> came back and won the second game Woo-hoo-hoo! and yeah. then can't remember the exact order but uh i think then andrew won the second game or i'm sorry the next game and then like Sam won. Sam won a game, stole it from Amy. She had it. Like she had it. She just did not bet enough money. And so yeah. Sam and her got the uh the final, but she didn't bet enough money. So Sam got to win. So we have 2-2 two, two, and 1. And so mm-hmm. then the the actual the uh, the last it was the 6th game out of possible 7 and Amy came back and won it. So it was very cool. Okay, so some people might not actually know who Amy Schneider is and why this win is so significant. Can you tell them? Right, so Amy Schneider is a trans woman who 
won a bunch of money and entered the Tournament of Champions, and she became the first trans woman champion to in just regular Jeopardy and also now in the Tournament of Champions. So it was an amazing run. Like it was so, it was so nice to see queer representation. And let me tell you, like if you are paying it, I mean, now people can come out and say, like, hey, I have a husband, my husband, my partner, my wife, you know, and it's no big deal. It's like great. But if you go back, you know, in time and you watch like some old Jeopardies, and you know, Alex was totally cool, but they had to be careful with what they say, you know, like who their partner yeah. is and stuff. Of course, you know, that's how television was back then. But every so often, I'll see like an old episode of Wheel of Fortune or or Jeopardy, and they mention their partner, and I'm like, oh! like my wife, you know, if it's a, if it's a, a female contestant or whatever. And it's just it's always so fun to catch it. But now Jeopardy is so queer. There's so many queer contestants, and guess what? Like this massively, like this, everybody loves Jeopardy. It's been around forever, and everybody knows Amy Schneider. And it was such a, a huge platform to get all the attention and recognition. It was it was fantastic. I was a little concerned because I was worried about, like, if this was lead into, like, over onto the World Cup, because then I would never see Jeopardy. It was one of those where it, like, takes over. Uh, It's, yeah, so. So I missed Jeopardy pretty much all week this week. So, anyway. Um, Yeah, it's funny that you said (laughs) that about how, like, in in those seasons gone by when people would sort of nod. I mean, how many of us would have watched those shows and they wouldn't say anything, but you just point at the screen and you just yell, <laughs> Gay! <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> like, you just, like... You just know. Sure, they didn't say it, but a lot of us knew. <laughs> and let me tell you something. So, another one of the uh, semifinalists that automatically went to the turn- the semifinals of the Tournament of Champions was Matea Roach, who was also a queer uh, contestant. Nice. So, but like, so in my head, and like 98% of America, everybody thought the final would be between Amy, Matea, and Matt Emodio. And like both uh, Matea and Matt, like, didn't get past the semifinals. And it's like they didn't even fucking care. Just like, mm, oh well. <laughs> I was like, what? So, like, I had all my eggs in a basket for Amy, in, ba- in Amy's basket, all of it. You know what? And, and she delivered. I, like, yelled and screamed. I was so excited. I was so happy. I was happy for her. I was happy for queer representation on, yes. a, on a huge platform. And it was just, it was so wonderful. It was so lovely to see, you know. And she was so graceful handling it. And they, uh, I, I love it because, like, Jeopardy's getting more and more into all the different social medias. And there's mm-hmm. this clip that they shared. And I can't remember if on Instagram or I think it was Instagram. They did a, a little clip, and Amy was talking about like how hard it was to beat, to go back and forth with Andrew, and Sam. Sam's like, uh, I'm still here, <laughs> <laughs> and like nobody paid attention to Sam. It was so cute. I mean, he was super yeah. smart. Like he never, he was, uh, he was from the uh, teacher tournament, and he never lost a game. Whoa! So he he came in winning the whole time, and then. Yeah, so he was he was amazing too. He was a lot of fun. He looked just like Steve Martin. It was weird. It was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And all through they had such great camaraderie and just you could just tell that they really respect and admire one another. And that's what makes the the tournament of champions so sweet is when you have that that respect. So I really yeah. loved it. I thought it was great. So good. All right. What else? Okay, so because I took a couple months off of writing, I binge watched Manifest. So it came out several years ago, I don't know, 2018 maybe, and I started watching it, but it was one of those, like, 
way before COVID, everything was weekly. Mm-hmm. Like you had a weekly show. Yeah. And I was like, this is really weird. I don't know that I can watch this every week. So then I decided to go ahead and binge watch it. It's not super good. It's <laughs> not super good. I'm just saying. But it's still a mystery. And there's queer rep. Like one of the main characters is queer. And she's not dead. At least not yet. Yeah. Anything can happen. <laughs> right. This show, this show has mad lost vibes. Did you remember the show Lost? I don't know if you remember it. Don't waste I do. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. We watched. When did we give up? We actually <laughs> when you didn't saw the polar it. bears. <laughs> uh I think we might have watched into the beginning of the last season, but it was so uh, just like God. off the rails and right. bananas that we were like, we can I maybe got into better. the second season, maybe, I think, and I was like, fuck, polar bears, no, I'm out. So I left. I left. I left on the polar bear setup. I was like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it's funny, so back to manifest. So like like I said, one of the main main characters is queer. And then there's this other character who overacts everything. Like, everything. He's like a <laughs> soap opera actor on this show. And it's yeah. like, no, stop, dude, stop. Um, Let's see what else. Oh, here's something. Yeah. For the holiday season, okay. I watched the movie Spirited. Okay. Spirited. I don't know about has, this movie. Tell me Oh, more. my goodness. So it has Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. That right there Wait. should tell you something. Yeah, not a romance. It's, <laughs> Not, it's not, sorry, not a romance. It's a take on... Can you imagine uh, the two of them? <laughs> no, not at all. No, me neither. So it's it's a very creative take on A Christmas Carol. And the twist is, is hilarious. Oh my gosh. I had so much fun with this movie. I did. Okay, how does it compare to Scrooged? Uh, it, it's not... It's completely different. It is such okay. a strange take on it. Strange. Good take on it. And I, I don't want to ruin it for anybody because I was so surprised at the little twist. I was like, God damn, that's creative. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So it was a fun holiday movie. And if you just want something fun and if you have a crush on Ryan Reynolds, like I do. I have a crush on Ryan Reynolds. I think he's adorable. Because who doesn't? I, I mean, what? what? Of course what? I do. He's Canadian. Okay. Have, so. Did you ever see? So <laughs> one of my favorite us. Ryan Reynolds things is actually not even necessary. It's not a thing that he was in. It's a thing that celebrates him. So he won a governor general's award because he's Canadian. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like, what are those awards that they do for American people? I just remember saying, <laughs> this is not helpful. Like Aretha Franklin sang at the one for Carol King. They do them, I think, at the Kennedy Center or something. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But it's basically, it's like the top honors that you can give to Canadians for greatness. And it often goes to actors and musicians and that kind of thing. And so the same year that Catherine O'Hara won, and it was kind of during the pandemic. So they had these recorded videos and like where we watch them and they're watching an iPad of someone doing a tribute to them. And so when Catherine O'Hara won, it was the guy from Schitt's Creek who played Dan Levy's love interest. Okay. And he's singing, he's beautifully playing and singing Joni Mitchell's song, A Piece of You, at a piano. But then as it goes on, he has different Moira Rose wigs from Shits <laughs> <Just> Creek. <laughs> like, hysterically funny. Oh 
And so for for Ryan Reynolds, when he won, it was the lead singer from the Bare Naked Ladies that did this like tribute song to him that's so wonderful. And so if you want to see Ryan Reynolds get celebrated and maybe see him cry a little bit, like it's just, it's really, yeah, I mean, who doesn't have, I'm sorry, but I just think he's one of those people. (laughs) There are some people out there that it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Everybody has a crush on them, and he right. can. For many people, he can be one of those. One of them. Mm-hmm. I want to say that somebody had aired. He actually, I think, God, I think it was on Facebook. He actually put something on Facebook, and somebody reposted it yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that there was something about this. So I'm like stalling because. Oh gosh. Yeah, Finn did. Okay. Last night, Canada honored me with a Governor General's Award uh, and this video. I'm not crying. It's just maple syrup. So yeah. he posted it. And I was going to yeah. look at it, but I was busy doing I had to. Yeah, I had to, you should I had watch to do it. last night. But You're I'm telling you to watch it. it. But Finn posted it because I just saw this. I was like, I saw a post of this. So yeah. I will go back and look for sure. Yeah. So you and I have a lot. We have something to talk about. Okay. Oh, no. Am I in trouble? No. I'm actually giving you mad props because yes, 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 the big brunch was amazing and I finished it. My only regret about recommending the big brunch was not waiting a fucking episode to do it because I thought here's what here's what I thought and where I was extremely wrong was, oh, they dropped three episodes to build interest and then it'll be (laughs) one episode a week. I am too excited about this to wait. And HBO Max was like, nah. And they and they dropped all the rest of them. So I also have watched all of it. And I have so much more to say about this show. But you, what do you think? I was going to leave it up to you. I thought it was amazing. Well, I have to say, besides just like the warm camaraderie and all yes. the queerness in this, I fucking love the music. I'm sorry. I'm just going to throw it out there. I know. I forgot to mention the music. Yes. It's so good. It's it like, it's really contemporary, is. it's contemporary swing music, isn't it? I don't know what it is, but I was like, I noticed that going into the second episode. I'm like, you know what? I really did this music. Mm-hmm. I really like the music. The music was perfect. So The perfect. show, yeah, it was so good. And you know me, I love cooking shows and competitions. You know, oh, I started off with yes. like, you know, Top Chef and went and worked my way through a lot of the different shows. Uh, but I find this so refreshing because it's not like, you're horrible. This is no. the worst thing I've ever eaten. You know, they're very constructive with their criticism mm-hmm. and they're hilarious. I mean, the, the three judges are hilarious. Oh, they're com- that was the thing I loved is that like, <laughs> To me, there were three sets of chemistry and camaraderie. And it was the first group is between the judges. The second group is between the contestants. And the third group is between everybody. And it's like slightly different for each, but all of it worked. And it just drove so much of the warmth and the heart of the show. And like, I love that just like the Great Canadian Baking Show and the Great British Bake Off Baking Show, the way they help each other, like even in the finale, even in the finale, when it's like, it is down, we are the final three, one of us is getting $300,000 based on what we're doing, and there's still that love there, it's not cutthroat, they're still supportive of each other, like it was so beautiful. 
Something I thought, and I want to see what you think. Something I thought was so, so, so fucking cool. I don't think I've ever seen this before, but there was an episode where they were told, they brought on the guy who created the cronut. And that is where I learned what a cronut is. I had never heard of it before and was like, oh, I would like to try this, but they probably don't have them in Calgary. They brought him on and everybody was supposed to bring their like, what is something that you would create that would go viral? And they bombed they changed. the challenge because <laughs> they played, they all played it too safe. So at the risk of a spoiler, they played it too safe. And so the judges said, you're going to do this again. We are wiping the slate clean. You will do this challenge again. You will have more time. But like, come on. So like level playing field for round two. Have you ever seen a reality show where contestants have had to do something again like that? Not off the top of my head, no. No, I don't think so. And what sucked about that, which mm-hmm. was great, first of all, it was a good, like, not a scolding, but like, mm-hmm. like we have this judge here who is going to give you invaluable advice, and you tanked, and now this judge is gone. And then mm-hmm. they bring their A game. So, I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, like scolding children. Like, what are you doing? Like, why did you do that? Why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do what we asked? And, but not yes. in a bad way. It was just like, look, everybody tanked this. This is, you know, it was, it was kind of, dis- they were disappointed in the in the contestants, I think. Yeah. 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 So then everybody stepped up their game. And then it was yes. like, great. So One of the things I really liked about the critiques is that they would not have been easy to take at times. But at the same time, I don't think any of them, like, none of the critiques were cruel. The judges never went out of their way to be mean. It was never personal. But I think this show does an incredible job of showing that clarity can be a kindness. And that feedback, even when the feedback is critical, clear, critical feedback that comes from someone who cares and isn't going to bullshit you is the ultimate kindness and i thought that was so cool and i'm sure all these contestants they're not learning i mean they're learning different like when they're on their own at their own restaurants or whatever they're doing they're Mm -hmm. not learning as much as they are when they are surrounded by other great chefs and also people who are giving constructive criticism to them as well as their peers you learn you Mm -hmm. learn in that kind of environment and i felt like there was so much growth, even though I wasn't there. I mean, yes. I felt like everybody learned more about themselves. They learned how to apply what they've learned by listening to other people mm-hmm. and, and what they were cooking. I mean, I just, I love cooking shows and this was just so much fun. Yeah. There were a few other things specifically that I really loved that like, as they happened, I was like, oh, why did I recommend it last time? I missed it. So I couldn't talk about it. I love that it shows a couple times them making family meals at the beginning, like showing that they they cook for each other in advance yeah. of, yeah, we're going to be competing all day, but let's sit together. Okay, I'm going to make this. You're going to make this, which is very much like family meal is very much a thing in the restaurant industry, like right. making that meal for everybody to bring them together. And I loved that it brought that in again as another way to sort of showcase how these contestants are bonding, but also kind of that heart that can be there in the restaurant industry. Everything isn't like that TV show. What's it called? The Bear? I didn't even watch it because I was like, The Bear? I feel like it's going to dig up. Well, it's the one about, it, it takes place in a kitchen, that one that's been going around 
kind of in the last few months, but it looked like it was just like super, super tense all the like negative shit about kitchens and I was like, no thank you. I don't nope. need to revisit <laughs> I don't nope. need to revisit any like past pain from <laughs> previous life. This was much more about the family, the heart, the all that. So I loved that. I also loved I don't know if you noticed this, but like I cannot describe how much I love this. At the end of the episode, they all walk out of the kitchen together, including the person who won't be coming back. Which I thought was really beautiful. Because like when you watch Great British Bake Off or Great Canadian Baking Show, like it's at the end of it, it's just they're all kind of milling about and talking together and that. But like, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race, which I talk about every single episode because there is always a RuPaul's Drag Race on. (laughs) The queen who has to leave goes off by herself and doesn't interact with them again as far as we see. Like maybe it actually happens. But I thought there was something really beautiful about this is a team. So we go out as a team. I don't know. That that was the thing that stood out for me. I I noticed that when one of the contestants was eliminated and they all walked out with him and he said, you know, you want to grab the lights. Get the light. Yeah. So that was cool. I will say that the one thing I love about, and I don't know if the the great Canadian baking show does this, but Mm -hmm. what I love about the British baking show. Yeah. Is that at the very end of the season, like we watch all the episodes and at the very end, they do a recap, like this person and this person got together in Sweden and they made this. So all the contestants like still like they build families on these shows. Like, and I'm sure in the big brunch, like this is a family that was made yes. and they're going to stay in contact, you know, with, with one another. And like, there's surprisingly several contestants from Virginia. Did you notice that? I say several, it was probably two, but, <laughs> but it was more than one. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely Daniel. Was Kip the other one? I honestly can't remember who or the other Kelly? one was, but I remember that there was from another Virginia. Yeah, there was another Virginian. So I yeah, think because interesting. I'm like, where is this taking place? Mason is Vermont, right? Mason is up there, yes. Regardless. Or Maine, yeah. <laughs> but it was just weird because I'm like, wow, there must be some, like, you know, really good chefs out there in Virginia. I might have to, like, take a road trip. No kidding. Yeah, go to Young Mother. So, yeah, if you, oh, friends. If you didn't listen to me last time, hopefully you're going to listen to both of us this time because this show is like the warm hug that I think all of us have needed. Right. So fucking good. I love it. So also, I love that Sola swears all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love that the contestants did, too. Like every time they were like, "Okay, please join us in the main room. Like the contestants were like, shit, shit. You could hear them like, and then (laughs) shit, shit was the popular word for the show. (laughs) But yeah, I love that that there was that every talk they 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 spoke like normal people like that said yes. this was so fucking amazing. Yeah, you would just, say that so good, so good, and felt so authentic. The, okay, the last yes. thing I loved from the finale, I am not going to spoil it and say who won no. for the record, uh, but I'm so happy for that person, and I think I would have been too. happy if any of them won. But I love that once it's announced, the camera pans, so you see. All the crew members celebrating. Yeah. That which was I just thought, cool. how cool is that? It's like a true family yes. environment, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah yes. I agree. That was very, it's a very good show. And, you know, it wasn't like, to binge it would only take a day. Yeah. Right? To binge it? I don't think it was. Oh, for sure. There's, I think there's eight episodes. Totally yeah, there, there are eight episodes. You could do it in a day. Yeah. HBO Max, if you haven't renewed it, you need to renew this show. 
If there's a petition right. I need to sign, let me know. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And, and so yeah. what, what I loved was that they had to, the contestants had to give a, uh, a like a presentation of what they were going to use this money for. It wasn't just mm-hmm. like, here's money, go run off and buy yes. a house or a car. It's like, no, yes. we need to know what you're going to use this money for. You know, and if you didn't have a yes, what is your business plan? plan? You got to come back because we're not going to just give you three hundred thousand dollars and just for you to to just like flush it. So it needs to have yeah. So I love that there was a not a stipulation for the money, but it was like we just can't like we want to help people grow, and the people who were there are like chefs that are really involved in their Mm -hmm. community, and so how will this money help you do a better or on a larger scale service to your community. Yes. So I love that whole concept. I thought it was great. So good. Yeah. Okay. What else have you been reading and watching? We talked so much about oh, the big brunch. Chris, there's been so, so <laughs> much good TV happening. Uh, yeah. I mean, the big brunch was uh, a huge one for me. I was actually a little bit distressed on Thursday. So my sister-in-law has been watching. She watched the big brunch too. Cause I was like, Chris, Victoria, Victoria, you have to watch this show. And so she texts me and she's like, the episodes are here. And I went, oh, shit. Because it was the same day as the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, how am I going to watch everything? So I watched the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, of course. And then I watched part of the Big Brunch and I finished the rest of the Big Brunch the next day. So... The final two were exactly the final two that I would have chosen. It was Cheddar Gorgeous and Danny Beard. And Danny Beard won. Congratulations. Did an incredible job all season. I'm not going to lie. I was a tiny bit sad that Cheddar Gorgeous didn't win. But if Cheddar Gorgeous would have won, I would have been a tiny bit sad that Danny Beard didn't win. And only (laughs) one person can win. It's, you know, complicated feelings. I think this was one of the strongest seasons of any Drag Race franchise ever. It was just so, so, so good. The queens were so good. The finale was great, even if you didn't know who won. And I, spo- it was all right. It was all over social media, so you would have gotten spoiled anyway. But if I just spoiled it for you, it's still worth going back and watching it. It's so freaking good. And then, of course, Canada's Drag Race versus the World. Sorry, the ones that RuPaul doesn't host don't have the RuPaul name in the title, oh. so it's uh, Canada's Drag Race versus the World continues to be fabulous. Although I gotta say, what the fuck? Canada, come on! To the first two contestants to go are Canadian queens. Ah! It is being hosted in Canada, and like they're strong queens. But I mean, it's just it's a whole set of strong queens. So I don't begrudge them. I was a little sad. The Calgary queen Stephanie Prince went home in the second episode. We had Calgary representation on the ah, screen. Boo. I was very excited about it. But yay, boo! Oh, but the look that she went out on was stunning she's a look queen she's from the philippines originally and like really bringing her heritage onto the stage and i just i really love when queens do that like using that platform as a way to educate about their own culture so i'm really excited about the rest of that something i haven't started watching yet i will start watching um but i wanted to just put it out there in case anybody else didn't know season three of we're here has started that's the show with former Drag Race contestants, Bob the Drag Queen, Shangela, and Eureka O'Hara, where they go to different towns around the U.S. They put somebody from the town in, they each put someone from the town in drag. They get new drag babies. They put them up on stage. 
I have heard incredible things about the season premiere. It sounds like it's going to be a little tough to watch. Um, it takes place in a small town in Texas, a very homophobic oh place. The thing that I love about this show is that it doesn't shy away from showing the homophobia in the show. I think we talked about this back when I was talking to you about the Branson, Missouri mm-hmm. episode. And so, you know, even in that episode, they showed how hard it was for them to secure a location because people didn't want to let them put this show on, but also showing that in those kinds of towns, it's actually, that's where it's the most important, the work they're doing, because they are changing the lives of the three people that they're making over. They're helping them be more comfortable with who they are and the people they're in relationship with. And I... Even not having seen this first episode, I just, I can't recommend this show enough. So if you haven't watched it, go and check that out. Last weekend, I can't remember why. Oh, I got a flu shot last Friday and it completely, completely kicked my ass. Like just like annihilated me this year. You never know, right? Like some years you're fine and some years it lays you out. This is the year it laid me out. But it was great because it was the perfect time to pick up the Great Canadian Baking (laughs) Show season six. Because nice. the finale also dropped last Sunday, so I watched the whole season. <laughs> that you sound like weekend. me in front of the TV the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why am I just laying here watching episode after episode? It was like, bitch, you can't get up right now. You feel like garbage. <laughs> it was so good. Another super queer season. I-, I had so much fun in the first episode where I was like, okay, okay, he's talking about his husband. Definitely gay. Okay, this person's. And there was one character, and I was like, hmm. I think this person is non-binary. I just think, I don't know. And then it was like, and they blah, 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 blah with their partner and is the first non-binary. And I was like, yes, I was right. Yes. That thing I was saying with Jeopardy, you point at the screen and you're like, yay. Yep. Like that kind yep. of- yay. Um, so another super queer season. Nice. Really, really fun. I don't know how Americans can get access to the great Canadian baking show, but like, can you, do you know how? So I went to YouTube because I was like, you know, Tara keeps talking about the Great Canadian Baking Show. And so I spoke into my magical remote control Mm -hmm. and I said, Great Canadian Baking Show. And it pulled up like the first episode of something. So I watched it and I'm like, I'm listening to you and I'm wondering if I watched, if I started watching season six. Because there's a, I think there's two characters who, three there's three characters. I say characters all the time. I know, right? Oh, I do the same thing. Sorry. I think there ended up being four or five this season. Yeah, so there are two that I remember. This is only the first episode. Yeah. So there was a woman who baked for her wife. And then there were two men who had husbands. And there yes. was one girl. I don't know if she's queer or not. But she had like, she's 21 and they were making fun of her age. Is this did she have like purpley pinky purple. hair? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is the yes. season. Okay, so season. I did watch the first one. Yeah, I'm like they made like their shit look so good. Yeah, like, like they're showcasing those those cakes. I'm like, yeah. come on, those are oh, amazing. Yeah. And even like just the not even they don't do a technical right. They just do the they do no they do they did the rolly yeah. thing. Yeah, they do the, they do the technicals. Yeah. It's they all the same. It's the, the it's the exact same structure as the Great right. Canadian Baking Show. Okay. It's just different, uh, different judges, different hosts, and the desserts are all. I mean, they do things from around the world, but for the most part, it's like, okay, is this like are Canadians going to want to see this or eat? Like, that's amazing. It, yeah, 
It's so I'm so glad you got to see that. Yeah, I did. So I saw one. I was like, I think I don't know. I think it's season six. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm reading it from you, yeah, from season six. But yeah, I just turned it on and I was like, Oh my gosh, these cakes look amazing. Yeah. It's super good. It's super fun. It's yeah, really it warm. Really is. Season three is the one kind of like if you're going to skip one, and it's not actually because of the judges or the contestants. The hosts weren't right that year because the first two years, Dan Levy was one of the hosts and he was wonderful. And I think, you know, you really see that payoff in the big brunch. It's like, okay, how do I take this and do something my way? And then they brought in two women who I actually, I really, really like them in their main thing I know them from, which is this sketch show called Baroness Von Sketch. They're really wonderful on that, but I don't think they were quite right for hosting a show like this. And then they got two people from Second City Toronto. I'm sure I've said all of this at some point in the past when I was watching a different season, but in case people have, hopefully that won't be boring for the people who listen to that. But they're so, so, so good. Alan Shane and Anne Parnell, I love them. They're perfect for this. I thought, I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, I haven't warmed up to them because I've only seen one episode Mm -hmm. and I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So, like, the the woman kind of, like, don't hate me for this. Yeah, yeah. The woman kind of reminded me a little bit of Roseanne Barr. And then I felt that the guy was just really shy because he was doing shy things with his hands. Yeah. You know? Like, during the whole episode, he's, like, twisting his arms. Like, all stuff yeah, yeah. that I know I would do knowing that I'm on, like, a podcast or in front of a bunch of people. So I felt like yeah. it wasn't smooth like the great british baking show but then again i don't know these actors so who knows? no i mean i would up. say i wasn't sure about them in season four and they've grown on me more and more okay. and more okay. so they will season. grow on me all right good yeah i have a parasocial relationship with them they just don't know it as is the case with every parasocial relationship <laughs> Uh, but yeah season six was great and then good okay so you and i very rarely talk about uh disney plus shows but Neil and I have been watching Ander, and we watched the finale. Have you watched this? No, I don't even know what it is. Do you ever watch Star Wars shows? No. Or Star Wars stuff? Oh, did you say, I thought you said awards show. Star Wars. Of course! Hello! Oh my god. Okay. You need to stop talking to me. Okay, we'll get, we'll finish the episode. We'll finish the <laughs> and episode. And then I'm gonna go And then to you Disney need Plus. to go watch this. Yeah, did you see Rogue One? Of course. Okay. He plays, he's one of the characters in that, wait, am I remembering the right one? Rogue One is the one that happens immediately before episode four. Yes. Uh, Is it yes? Yes. The one where everyone dies? Like the whole cast? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Everyone dies. That's true. So he's the main guy. He's like the main guy. Like he dies with her at the end. I hope I'm right about that. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to hear it from Neil if I'm wrong. So it's his but story. This is his origin story. And it's created by a guy who did police procedurals. And it starts with he's searching for his sister and he goes to this bar on yes. the planet where he's living because he thinks he sorry? Yes, I saw the first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he kills those two because he gets followed by those two security guys who are starting something and they're going to kill him. So he ends up killing them and then it kind of puts him on the run and all these things. I don't want to I really don't want to say any more than that, but it is so, so, so good. I think it's probably the best writing. It's among the best writing for sure in the Star Wars universe. 
Wow. It's so good. And there's no Jedi's. I think the reason why, like, I start, I start so many things and I forget what's on because oh, yeah. I start so many things. I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I have to watch La Brea and I have to watch this and I have to, and then, for, and then the stuff yeah. that's in my head that are like weekly, they fall off because I forget about them. So I did see the first episode of that. The season is over. So you can binge okay, it. So I can and binge I think you thing. should. Okay, good. All right. Yeah. Good. Okay. We spent so long. <laughs> I feel like you and I spent a lot of time in front of the TV in the last couple of weeks. So it's a good thing yes. that we each read a fucking book. because right. <laughs> I know. Sometimes we need to read a book. So Chris, what is your official recommendation this week? Okay. My official recommendation is Christmas Mouse by Rachel Spangler. It's obviously a holiday treat. So, let me read the blurb. What makes for the perfect Christmas? Where or how you spend it, or perhaps who you share it with? Smalltown woodworker Ava Collins and big city doctor Bex Leon both love Christmas. Some might go so far as to call them obsessed. They love Christmas music, Christmas food, Christmas carols, and Christmas movies. When the two women meet over Thanksgiving dinner, it seems for a second they might have finally found their mistletoe match, but their initial connection goes wildly awry when they realize... Their versions of what constitutes an ideal Christmas differ as drastically as the places they choose to spend their holidays. Ava is to idyllic homespun Vermont as Bex is to the flash and sparkle of New York City. What begins as a good-natured argument about who has the superior way to celebrate the season ends in a friendly bet. The country mouse and the city mouse will each split the season in an attempt to convince the other their way is the truest path to holiday happiness cute it is super cute so you know i i really like this because i needed a warm hug of a book i needed Mm -hmm. i needed something to really boost my holiday spirit just because i had a lot of stuff going on this year and i've gone through some pretty horrific stuff so i needed to get in a better mindset you know for the holidays and so here's the deal. Like, Ray Spangler is a fabulous writer. Like, I've known them for years. And mm-hmm. truly, I can honestly say that their writing has improved more than any other writer I know and read. I, yeah, that's, it's that's funny a bold that you, statement, but it's no, true. No, no, no. It's funny that you say that because I have thought something quite similar for a long time, and it feels like a controversial thing to say. But, like, if you go and read their back catalog, you see improvement from book after book after book. And to me, I've always seen that as... I mean, I think every author cares about their craft. I don't want this... I, I never want this to sound like a knock on any other author because, I mean, I also... Like, for you, I've also seen, like, your growth from your first book to where you are now has also, like, that just happens, right? Right. Sorry. (laughs) That sounds so flippant. I mean, (laughs) when you... Yeah, Chris, you're just, like, farting out books. No big deal. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I mean, if you keep working at it and if you keep pushing yourself, you will continue to get better. And so I think there are a lot of authors um, where we see that. But I also think there are some authors out there where I don't... I don't know that it's like necessarily kind of a ceiling thing or, but like, they're just great. And so then you see these little kind of fine tuning things here and there, but there's something about the way Ray writes that you can see the effort to improve the craft 
in book upon book. And let me tell you something, writing a simple book, and I, and I use the word simple in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take, you take the whole city mouse, country mouse, and you make it all about Christmas, and you have to write a book that takes place in over like a month, you know, the, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. And to develop and to actually convey emotions as well as Ray did, it's absolutely, it's super hard to do. And they did a really good job. Yeah. So, you know, of course, I always have to come in with a quote when I read books. Like, of that course. is my thing. Of course. So I'm stalling so I can pull up my phone and read this <laughs> quote because I really want to read this. I thought I thought it was, I thought it was a really good quote. And, and I really want to give them props for this quote because it's such a simple thing. But just the way their writing is to, to like, encompass this feeling, it's so good. Okay, so here it is. Okay. So, the near kiss last night set her on edge even more than the narrow miss in Central Park. She'd done her best to push the first one to the recesses of her mind, but two was too many to write off as a momentary lapse. She and Bex seemed intent on dancing even closer to a flame. And as much as she didn't want to get burned, neither could she deny the warmth. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, like, that? It's just like, mm-hmm. like, instead of saying, oh, we kissed and it was great. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it. You know, just like, and that's what I'm saying. Like, the simplest things, to write about it in such a way that gives you such warmth when you read it. And that's exactly yeah. what I needed. And that's why I'm recommending this book. I mean, yeah, it's cute because they start off in New York City. And so you get the whole... And I've been to New York City around Christmas time, you know, Rockefeller Center, mm-hmm. the big huge tree, you know, just like everybody hustling and bustling about and everything is Christmas and decorated. And it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's also extremely overwhelming. But I think everybody at some point has maybe wanted to spend Christmas in New York. I think it's just one of those, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it's a bucket list or just something to experience. Yeah. So, so Ava... Uh, who is from Vermont, she spends the weekend with Bex, or actually I think it's like four days, and they do all the stuff in New York City that you would expect, you know, the Rockefeller Center, the the Rockettes, just like all these different cool things. And so then when it's time for Bex to go to Vermont, Ava has all these really cool, fun, wintry stuff because it snows like a zillion feet in Vermont, and they do sleigh rides with a real mm-hmm. horse, and they meet Santa, I mean, they meet Santa in, the, in New York, but just everything, it's just, you feel the, the, the family-ness, the togetherness with, you know, Ava knowing everybody in town and her family is really close. And it's just, it was so good to see how they each see and view Christmas and what's important to them. So, like I said, it, it took a simple story. Ray took a simple story, City Mouse, Country Mouse, made it queer, wrote it superbly, and made me smile a lot. Like, there are so many references to, like, Christmas, really famous Christmas movies, popular movies, popular songs. And I just smiled. Like, every time something hit me, like something from Elf or something from Love Actually or something, you know, you just, if you're into Christmas like I am, then a lot of the things that you read about make you smile. And so it was just kind of a, it, it was just such a warm book and, you know, has witty dialogue and they really capture the heartfelt emotions. And there's such an innocence in falling in love. And I don't know if I can explain that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, to just sit there, like Ava sits there in bed and she just thinks about the kiss. They had one kiss. Mm-hmm. And just, you feel, you're, you're there feeling the emotions. And I just, I just love that Ray captured just something so simple and so pure 
into something really heartfelt. And so it was, it was like perfect. It was a perfect book for me to kind of snap me out of things and get me into the holiday spirit. And, oh, and also like one other thing about this that comes through very much in the book is that Rachel describes scenes and stresses the importance of foundations. And, and one of the things, one of the quotes is it's not just sharing traditions that make Christmas special. It's who you share them with. So it was just, it was a beautiful Christmas book. And I, I think that if you are looking for something lighthearted, well-written, then for sure Christmas Alice is for you. It sounds like something that would make a really great movie too. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure, and that's funny because they talk about how everything is so hallmarky. Like, and it's true. Like the, everything is hallmarky. You see the hallmark movies that take place in like, you know, Doctor ends up in, small vermont totally. town with yeah it's it's so and i know that ray played on that like let's just play on this and big city and somebody overwhelmed by the city but at the same time you know loved it but really wanted to be home so it's just it was so hallmarky it was so adorable and maybe not hallmarky but some queer outlet that will let you print or you know actually turn this into a movie i guess hallmark does have lgbt did they close it did they close it did hallmark close down that section of the LGBT. Oh, um, I don't know. Why? Oh, okay. I don't know. Here's what I would I like to see. I think okay. someone should send this to Clea Duvall because it was only the story of Happiest Season that I didn't like, but I loved how it was shot. I loved the production value. What if she took all of that and applied it to this book? I think that would be great. I think so too. I think you're right. So that was my official recommendation. What about yours? What is your official recommendation? Okay, so my official recommendation, I would say it's interesting. I think there's a distinction. I think there are some books that are definitely Christmas books or holiday books. I think this is a book that takes place during the holidays and mostly around Christmas, but isn't necessarily specifically a holiday book, but also is close enough that like now feels like the perfect time to read it. And it is called Season of Love, and it is by, it, it is a debut book, I'm pretty sure, by wow. Helena Greer. Helena, Helena, I'm sorry, I don't know you, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but I hope, I hope that I got that right. It is so, it is so good. For me, this is a perfect book. Oh, wow. I know, I don't say that lightly. Right. Let me start by telling you what it's about. So, Miriam Bloom is one of the main characters. She is engaged to a woman that they're not in love and they know it, but they really need each other. They desper- they deeply respect each other. They have a good friendship. They have a good sex life, but like the love has just never been there. She's also an artist. She goes, she, the way she does her art sounds really cool because it's a lot of like, she goes antiquing and then brings stuff back and then pulls things apart and creates new things and like with a lot of decoupage and stuff like that, like just very, very cool. And she's excited because, like, again, she's engaged. She's living with this beautiful, smart, cool woman. She's going to open this store. They live in Charleston. Like, she's going to actually open a storefront for her art, which is huge, like a huge step as an artist. And then she gets a call from her mother that her great aunt Cass died. And I've, as an aside, I'm already, I'm going to stop myself as I'm describing what this is, is about to say. I loved Cass. This is one of those rare cases where 
a character isn't there, but you feel them and you feel their impact because she's already dead at the beginning of this book. And she is still one of my favorite characters in this fucking book. That's awesome. She sounded like a total firecracker. She died in her 90s and she decided she just wanted to like in her 30s. She was like, I'm going to run a Christmas tree farm. She's Jewish. She doesn't care. But she's like, why not? I love that. Because her thing was, what other line of work can I do where I only have to talk to people for two months of the year and I can do whatever I want for the rest of the year. And she's just this like total eccentric and Miriam is, is devastated. She's been estranged from her family, including Cass actually like she's uh, separated herself from her whole family for about a decade, but she was such a foundational person to her life because she was one of the few people who ever truly understood her and loved her as she was. That she said, I'm going to the farm. I need to sit Shiva with the family. That's just, that is happening. And picks up, takes off. While she's there, she sees this like gorgeous, tall, fat butch woman and has this immediate crush on her. Her name's Noelle Northwood. Noelle has been living and working at the farm. Like she's the tree person at the farm. And she's been there most of the time Miriam's been away. And when she first sees Miriam, she's like, ooh, you know, this tiny, like this tiny Jewish woman, gigantic curly hair, looks a little bit like an elf. And then she finds out who she is and she is like intensely pissed off oh. because because of the way she fled the family. And Noelle knows oh, the yeah. pain the family has had with Miriam not being there. And so they are very much at odds at first. And both of their lives are turned completely upside down when the will is read. Because it turns out that Cass left the farm in equal parts to Miriam, Noelle, Hannah, who is Miriam's cousin and Noelle's best friend. And then I think his name is Levi, who was Miriam and Hannah's childhood best friend, but is also Hannah's ex. And Miriam didn't know while she was away that Hannah and Levi got together. And he kind of had these dreams that meant having to leave. And she's like, if you leave, don't come back. And so he hasn't been around Kind of in forever. So if you smell a sequel between (laughs) Hannah and Levi, so do I. And the epilogue basically says it's going to happen. And so there's kind of this like, okay, well, what does Miriam do? Does she just sign over her shares? Does she what? And Noelle blows up at her and is such a dick about it that Miriam's like, fuck you. I'm going to stay here for a while. and We're going to try to figure out how to save this business because it turns out that there's no money. And they need to find a way to make it profitable because Cass didn't tell them how bad it was. And that's kind of the like, so where does it go from there? Well, you know, it goes to a happily ever after, of course, because this is a romance novel. And so what did I love about it? This is one of those times where I want to be super lazy and just say everything. Goodbye, everybody. End of the episode. (laughs) Let's tell you about our socials. But that's not how we do things here. That is the laziest. So... I did love everything, but let's go through kind of what those elements are. The first is that I love how it's written. I found like so much of it is really funny, really clever. It gets into a lot of serious things, but there's also so many moments that are just like, oh, it just got me. I highlighted more for this book than probably any other book this year. (laughs) Yay. As an example, you know, when they're still kind of in the Noelle and Miriam fighting stage, Miriam has been tasked with decorating in the house. Noelle doesn't like how she's doing it because obviously it's not the way that Cass would have done it. And (laughs) we have, I'm sorry, are you decorating now as well? A Renaissance woman, Miriam snapped, yanking the bow back and putting it back where she'd had it. Why are you here? I thought you were avoiding me. Can we return to that? 
which I thought was hilarious. Just like this, like even in the sniping was so good. (laughs) And then very shortly after that, Noelle is kind of reflecting on the effect that Miriam is having on her. And it's one of those things that takes, like, it has things in this, like, I'm going to read you a quote, and it has things that are hilarious, and it has things that are poignant, and it's all within three sentences. I don't know how she did this, but, like, okay, all of her nerve endings became raw when Miriam was in the room. She didn't like it. Sorry, there's four sentences. Uh, (laughs) All of her nerve endings became raw when Miriam was in the room. She didn't like it. When Miriam's inner lights were turned on, when she was present, she was sparkly and fascinating, and Noelle wanted to collect her like a raccoon collecting treasure. When her lights were off, when she went away from herself and seemed to almost leave her body, Noelle wanted to find out why and turn them back on. It annoyed her. Like, how good is that? That push and pull between the hilarious and the serious all at the same time. I was like, come on. How is that? How is that possible? It was so good. I also, of course, love the characters. A book is not a perfect book for me if I don't love the characters. Right. Actually, that's not true because there are some characters that I love to hate. In that case, there's still love, isn't there? I think. Yeah. It's you a know love why? to hate. It's a passionate. Yeah. Like something that kind of pushed, like what gives you some kind of a feeling about characters and I I liked how different Noelle and Miriam are. Um, Noelle is nothing but loyalty. If someone is her person, and that's part of why she reacts so badly to Miriam and how she's been away and she squandered this time she could have had with Cass and that she could have had with Hannah. And so her loyalty, like her people at the beginning are Cass, Hannah, and then the Matthewses. They are a couple that has been with the farm forever. They kind of, they help run it because there's also this like suite of rooms that can be rented out. And also she has these women in town, these older women that she's super loyal to because it is like, it's, it's a very small town and who's going to be in AA in a very small town. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's very loyal to them as well. But like once she learns about why Miriam went away and stayed away, she turns that loyalty to her too. And it's really beautiful. And then we look at Miriam. She's also very complex And I kind of love that about her because when she starts off, like she doesn't let people in. She didn't let her fiance in. Cole is her best friend and he's a big character in this. And Cole doesn't know about her background either, but like she still loves them and they're still her people. And she has this really deep desire to help people. And kind of hilariously, she has her own group of little old ladies that she supports because they're the women that run all of these antique shops that she travels around to. And so even just the fact that they each have their own group of little old ladies that they support and that support them, like, fuck. Did this woman crawl in my head and say, what are all the things Tara would like? And let me pull them in. Like, so good. I love that there's a lot of different types of representation here. So like I said, Noelle is, um, she's not just like a super hot butch, but I love, love, love that she's a fat butch because I don't think there's enough fat representation in sapphic romance. And I also love that we see Miriam really appreciates that about her. She loves her body. It's not, you know, like it's a, it's, it's celebrated. This is a good thing. Miriam is bisexual and talks kind of openly with Noelle about what that means for her. And even things like how she doesn't feel like she's queer enough sometimes because of some of the L's and the G's in the LGBTQ community. 
And that felt very real. And for me, you know, also as someone who, you know, uses the term bisexual or pansexual pretty equally, like I, I really felt that Miriam's Jewish. And so we kind of see what it's like for her as it's like, I am on a Christmas tree farm and it is all Christmas all the time. And that can really get exhausting. And then also they both have trauma in their pasts. And it was more than a passing mention which I really loved. Like we got to see how it impacts how they interact with each other, how it, how they show up, why Miriam left and what it does to her in the present. And it it informs like this really pivotal moment for their relationship. And the same is even better. I have been asking for this in so many books. They know that they need to go for therapy together. And I believe that they're actually going to do it. How many, how many, (laughs) how many seven romances have you read where you're like, Oh, this person with deep trauma who does a super shitty thing, perhaps you should go for therapy. Is there going to be therapy? And then like, there's no mention of therapy because it happens to me and I get really frustrated. So to have them say like, we should probably go for therapy was so good. So given that I just mentioned trauma, I think this is probably a good time to give content warnings. This was, none of it was like an issue for me at all. But I also understand that different people have different tolerances. Your mileage may vary. It's still like... It still has that like warm holiday novel vibe, but I think people just need to be aware. So actually pause. This is where I'm going to go ahead and spoil some of the stuff because you can't give a content warning without giving spoilers. That's just sort of how that is. But if you have issues with that, skip ahead by probably two to three minutes and you'll be fine. The reason Miriam was estranged from her family is that her father was abusive. To me, I mean, it doesn't say it flat out, and I am not a psychologist, but it sounded like he was a narcissist. And while he didn't hit her or anything, he didn't need to. He did some pretty horrific stuff to try to control her. He is incredibly controlling and awful. Um, And so we do hear about some of the things that he did in the past, and there is something that he tries to do in the present to ruin her happiness because he really wants her back under his control. So if you're listening and you have had problems in the past with a narcissistic family member and that's something that's likely to be a problem for you that you're not ready to deal with, you might want to skip on this one. And for Noelle, her trauma is that, you know, she was, I I mentioned that she was in AA, so she is well into her sobriety journey, but she was raised by alcoholics and she has her own personal journey with alcoholism. And she talks about how, you know, she is sober in the present, has been for years, but she started drinking when she was 10. And like binge and was binge drinking by 13 and that lasted nearly a decade. And it was actually because she got sober that her parents cut her off because they felt like she was judging them. They thought she wasn't fun anymore and they died before she had a chance to reconcile with them. And so that's something that's, yeah, like it's deeply painful for her. And so again, if, you know, alcoholism and family dynamics is a problem for you because that's a part of your family and that's not you know a a trauma thing that you want to push on personally you might also want to sit out this book but like honestly what a beautiful fun just like a total home run for me I'm just gonna see I'm skipping down to the bottom of my quotes because There are some really, really lovely... Yeah, so, like, after Noelle apologizes, as a part of it, she says, I want to be your anchor, and I want to go on wild antiquing adventures with you. I want to fix your hot glue gun when it breaks and make sure you eat while you're in your workshop. I want to go to therapy with you so we can both untangle our messes. 
do you want that? Will you still have me? Like, it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so good. It's fun. It's funny. It has serious themes. It addresses them well. What more can you want in a book? Right. That's all I got. Wow. All right. I know. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us and listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure that you've subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll get notified when we release an episode. Like I mentioned earlier, if you have a friend that you think would like the show, please tell them all about it. And if you'd like to support us, we have links in our show notes to our coffee and our newsletter sign up. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that as well. Or you can just search for Cruelly Recommended on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Tumblr, and Twitter, if it's still around. Or email us at podcast at cruellyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social... <laughs> ah!